Welcome to the Seven Hills Church Podcast with Marcus Mika. We're excited you're here listening as Pastor Marcus is about to bring an incredible teaching that is sure to inspire, motivate, and lift you up. You can visit us on our website at sevenhillschurch.tv or download our free Seven Hills Church app to watch or listen to more exclusive content. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed the message. chapter 1, of course, uh, Luke is the author of the book of Acts, so he not only wrote the gospel of Luke, which is an account of the story of Jesus, he also is the only gospel writer uh, to then follow that up with a story of the church. And so we find in Acts chapter, the entire book of Acts, the story of the church. This is a really important thing to understand as Christians. Um, And Luke knew this. Luke understood how important it would be for us to not just understand the story of Jesus' life, but for us to understand also the story of the church. A lot of people have this concept that, you know, Jesus came and he was God among us. He lived. He died for our sins. And, you know, he was raised from the dead, then ascended to the right hand of the Father. And, And now we're responsible for the church. It's like kind of like our job. We don't say it exactly like that. You know, we understand that, you know, we do the things that Jesus told us to do and we're following Jesus. But really, if we were honest about it, you know, he's kind of been sidelined and now this is our main job. Like this is, this is us now. If we don't roll up our sleeves and do it, it's not going to happen. But Jesus was pretty clear in the very beginning of, of the book of Acts, and Luke wanted to make it also clear that Jesus was not saying, hey, it's going to be this new day of the church, and it's going to be your job. He made it clear that you're not supposed to do church without the person um, of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. And so um, we've talked a little bit about that over the last couple of weeks, if that doesn't make any sense to you. But a lot of churches, I think you would agree with me, they don't talk much about the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of reasons for this. If you go back throughout church history, really church history is kind of thin on theology of the Holy Spirit. We talk a lot about God the Father, our Creator. There's a lot of theology around Jesus, of course, His Son. And then we kind of thin out when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And you can just see this in the holidays that we celebrate. You probably hear a lot of hype around Christmas and church. We do. We have to add services all throughout the whole week just to fit people in surrounding the birth of Jesus. And then Easter, it's the same way. It's crazy. When it comes time to Easter, we have to add services everywhere because this place is just slam-packed. And those holidays, rightfully so, should be celebrated by all Christians. But has anybody ever woke up on a Sunday morning in June and said, oh, my God, I've got to get to church. It's Pentecost Sunday. <laughs> and that, that, in a very simple way, gives you, and when I say Pentecost, I'm not speaking about Pentecostals. Uh, Pentecost is a Jewish holiday, and it happens to be the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. And so this is a day that deserves an emphasis. It, this is a part of our faith that we need to understand a little bit more about. You ready? So Acts chapter 1, um, verse, verse 4 and 5. Actually, let's just look at verse 5. For, this is Jesus speaking. For John baptized with water, but in a few days 
you will be baptized or immersed, enveloped with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says this, of course, they go then and they wait in the upper room. I'm just giving you background. I think many of you know this, but they, the 500 witnesses that heard this, they then make their way to the upper room. They're there for 10 days praying, seeking God. Then the Holy Spirit fills that upper room like a mighty rushing wind. You say, why was it a mighty rushing wind? I think because the Holy Spirit was in a hurry to get here. And so the Holy Spirit comes into that room, divided tongues as fire set on each one of them. They walk out of that room and people are seeing these 120 speak in tongues in each one in their own native language. And as this begins to happen, all those watching are saying they must be drunk. Something is going on here that we can't explain. They're not acting normal. They must be drunk. In the midst of this, Simon Peter gets up and he preaches the very first sermon of the New Testament church. Few clues here. Whenever something happens in the Bible for the first time, pay attention. That's what first mean pay attention, first miracles. Anytime something is for the first time said, this is pay attention. So this is one of the first, the very first first sermon of the church. How many of y'all know that God is going to make sure he places some foundational things that we need to understand in this first sermon? And so we'll just kind of walk through some of them. You don't have to do it with me, um, but we'll just look at this together. He, uh, the apostle Simon Peter stands up and the first thing that he does is he quotes the prophet Joel. That in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And so the first thing that the apostle Simon Peter does is he says, hey, Old Testament prophecy is being fulfilled in what we're experiencing. But he doesn't stop there. Then he goes in verse 23, and he begins to talk about Jesus being crucified, Jesus dying on the cross. He drops down immediately and talks about how Jesus wasn't, that they weren't just experiencing prophecy, that Jesus dying on the cross was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Hang on with me for just a minute. For those of you who haven't had a lot of church background, I'll bring it back around for you in just a minute. But for those of you who have had church background, we're walking through Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled, Jesus dying on the cross, being crucified, foundation, foundation, Jesus fulfilling prophecy in verses 26 through 28. And then you see in verse number 31 that Jesus is now being raised from the dead. So Jesus isn't just dying on a cross, but now he's also being resurrected from the dead. Foundational, 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 important, very important. First sermon, pay attention, basics. But all very, very important. Then we see uh, verse number five. He talks about how the Holy Spirit is going to show up. The exalted to the right hand of God and he's received the fa- from the Father. This is verse 33. Promised the Holy Spirit. So now the Holy Spirit is put in this very first sermon. The sixth thing that you see is that people's response to the Apostle Simon Peter's message was they were cut to their heart. And then finally... Peter finishes the sermon off. His closing statement, his final point is found in verse number 38 and 39. And it says that this promise, this gift of the Holy Spirit is for you, your children, and for all of them, that's us, who are far off. Now, 
couple things if you didn't get it. Is Old Testament prophecy important for the believer? Is the death of Jesus on the cross important for the believer? Is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead important for the believer? Now what you have mixed into those basic foundational tenets of the faith is the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And my question to you is, if it wasn't so important, why would God make sure it was in the very first sermon to the church? See, it's a very important thing, much more important. As a matter of fact, you'll see as we go through this that we shouldn't probably even be having church without the Holy Spirit. Because we're not here to do church business. We're actually here, like they were told in the book of Acts, to make sure we wait on the Holy Spirit. That we should do nothing without the Holy Spirit. Our job is to actually find out what he wants to do and cooperate with him in the earth. That's our job. That's the church's job. Getting ahead of myself just a little bit. Okay, so so the Bible goes on to talk to us a little bit about several things that, that maybe we can look at. So all throughout the scripture, you have the Holy Spirit showing up. He doesn't just show up in the book of Acts. He shows, out all, shows up all throughout the Bible. Maybe one of the best ways to play around with this would be just like you see Jesus all through the Old Testament. In other words, Jesus didn't show up 2,000 years ago, being born of a virgin, live for 30 years, and then die, die on the cross, was raised from the dead. No, Jesus was here from the beginning. And the Bible shows us all throughout the scripture, even before he showed up in flesh, he was in the earth. He was working through people. Well, the Holy Spirit was, has been active throughout human history as well. And so you can find the Holy Spirit all throughout biblical history. He's all there, not just in Acts, he's all through the Bible. All through the Bible, you can find him. And I'll just give you one example. We know Jesus, when he was being baptized, that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. Now notice the language, the symbol is he is like a dove. Now most of the time, In religious circles, if you even bring up the Holy Spirit, immediately the image people have in their mind is some people in the mountains of Kentucky, God bless us, and um, (laughs) handling a snake. Right? But the Holy Spirit, when God talks about what the Holy Spirit is like, it's like a dove. Well, if you were the enemy... Wouldn't you want to make something beautiful and wonderful and powerful to, the, to God's people a little scary? So the enemy takes these extreme, really rare situations and tries to make us think that that's the Holy Spirit. So we'll withdraw from it and stay away from it. So, but if we go to the Bible, the Holy Spirit is a dove. He's not a fierce eagle. He's not the mighty lion of you know, the beast of the field, he's, he's not the strength of an ox, and he's definitely not a serpent or a scorpion. The Holy Spirit is a dove, beautiful, faithful, loyal, messy, gentle, and loving. 
And the Holy Spirit, whenever he wants to show up in anybody's life, just so you know, anytime the Holy Spirit shows up, anytime the Holy Spirit moves in your life, it's because he wants to do something wonderful. The Holy Spirit, whenever he shows up, will do nothing but bless your life, build your life, and strengthen your life. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, can I just help you? There's nothing to be afraid of. He's a dove, like a dove. Well, you go back to the Old Testament. If we want to, let's go to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8, there's this story that you've heard a lot about. And it's the story of, you know, God judges the earth. And there's 40 days of crazy, crazy rain. And the entire earth is filled uh, with water, flooded with water. And in verse number 6, everybody doing okay? You doing good? Y'all are so quiet this morning at 9 a.m. Okay, verse 6. After 40 days, Noah opened the window. This is of the ark and he had, that he had made in the ark. There you go. I got ahead of myself or the Bible. And sent out a raven, and he kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find no resting place. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. Verse 10, he waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. And when the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf or olive branch. And then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. And he waited seven more days and sent the dove out again. But this time the dove did not return to him. So you have here in Genesis the three different dispensations of the Holy Spirit. The first thing that happens, again, The judgment waters flood the earth. Noah is in the ark. His family is there. And after 40 days, he sends this dove out of a window. And the dove circles the earth. It's flying around the earth. And the dove is looking for a place to land, a place to rest, the Bible says. But after many days, the dove finds no place to rest. And so it comes back. Noah reaches his hand out of the window of the ark. And brings the dove in close. There's a sermon right there. Just brings the dove in close to him. Then after seven days, sends the dove out again. And the dove this time goes out and circling, looking to find a place to land. Looking for maybe the top of a tree. This time the dove finds the top of an olive branch. Or of an olive tree. So the dove comes down, lands on the olive tree. And plucks the olive branch off. Flies back to the ark. Noah reaches out his hand again, brings the dove close, and the olive branch tells Noah that the waters are receding. It's telling Noah, hey, it's, it's almost safe. Noah waits seven more days, sends the dove out again, and the dove goes out and finds no, or doesn't return, speaking of the fact that now the dove's good. The dove's found a place that it can rest and enjoy the rest of its life. So the seven dispensations of the Holy Spirit work this way. So throughout human history, this is how the Holy Spirit has worked with the human race. Number one, we see him being sent out and finding no resting place. This would represent in the Old Testament how the Holy Spirit worked. How the Holy Spirit worked is the pattern was very similar to that. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit never rests. The Holy Spirit never lands permanently on any person. And that's an important phrase. The Holy Spirit never lands or descends and remains 
on any human being throughout the entire Old Testament. The Holy Spirit would find a way to to enter, but would never stay on a person. You see this with Saul, for example. King Saul was anointed as king, anointed powerfully. Then he ends up consulting the witch of Endor. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit lifts off of Saul. Samson, stronger than any other man. We know Samson ends up sinning. His hair is cut and he becomes like every other man is what the Bible says. In that moment, the Holy Spirit lifts off of his life. King David, he sins. What's his prayer? Take not thine Holy Spirit from me. Why? Because David knew that the way the Holy Spirit seems to work with men is he descends and then he lifts. He comes on them and then he lifts. He doesn't stay. He, he doesn't remain. It's, it's sort of random, like he'll show up on a king or a priest or a judge or a, a leader for a moment, for a season, for a purpose, for a people to say something, to do something. And then as soon as that one thing or that season is accomplished, bam, the Holy Spirit's gone, leaves. And that person that was powerfully being used by God now many times is completely obsolete. And this is how the Holy Spirit worked throughout the Old Testament. But the Holy Spirit eventually was was released in a greater way. And this time, the Holy Spirit came back with an olive branch. We would know of this when you look at the Old Testament story. The judgment waters were receded. And that dove came back with the olive branch. For us, the olive branch is Jesus. How we see in Matthew chapter 3, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus and Jesus is our olive branch. An olive branch speaks of peace. How the Holy Spirit brings us peace with God. The Holy Spirit announces to us that judgment is over. The Holy Spirit is the one that testifies in your heart that you and I are the sons and the daughters of God. And that we're at peace with God. That we don't have to worry about judgment because Jesus took on our judgment. John 5, 24, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life shall not come in to judgment. You do not have to fear judgment. We will never experience the wrath of God as his sons and daughters. God already poured all of his judgment and wrath out on Jesus and Jesus poured all of his love out on us. He's our olive branch. Now notice, it wasn't divine discipline that took Jesus to the cross. Jesus was being baptized in the river Jordan and the Holy Spirit descended on him and remained and Jesus consistently talked about his total and complete dependence on the Holy Spirit. Had the Holy Spirit not been there, Jesus would have never been able to fulfill the assignment of God on his life to die on the cross for our sins. So judgment is over, peace with God. That's the second dispensation of the Holy Spirit. But we again read about it, how Jesus says, hey, listen, the Holy Spirit's not done. The gift of the Holy Spirit is not done. So then we have the final thing, that the dove was released out of the ark, but never returned. This represents the day that we live in that the Holy Spirit came to stay. It's not like in the Old Testament how he'd show up on a person and then lift. The Holy Spirit came to remain, came to show up in your life 
and never leave. He's with you is what the, Brahm, the, the Bible talks about. You don't ever have to leave, fear the Holy Spirit lifting your, off your life. You don't ever have to wonder, you know, man, I messed up. I made a mistake. I, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have looked at that. I shouldn't have acted that way. And now maybe is God going to not be with me the way that he has been in the past? No, the, the promise of, the dis, of God in the dispensation that we live in is the Holy Spirit has come to stay. He has found his resting place on the people of God. He is the answer of Jesus's prayer in John chapter 14, that when he leaves, that we would have an advocate, a helper, a a paraclete, a corner man that would come alongside of us. Now, what does this look like? How does this look to a believer? I'm talked, said a lot of things, but how does this look to a believer? Ephesians chapter one, we'll go through a few things quickly and we're out of here. Ephesians chapter one and verse 13. Ephesians chapter one and verse 13. It says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked In him you were sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing. He's he's already made the deposit. This deposit guarantees what we're talking about here. Our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. In other words, he's going to ultimately deliver us in to his promises and plans for our life to the praise of his glory. What does it look like to be immersed, baptized, enveloped by the Holy Spirit? Well, we have here an envelope. And inside this envelope, I've placed a a letter. Well, just a blank piece of paper, actually, because I'm so creative. (laughs) This letter is you, your life. God's plan for you, God's destiny for you. And once the letter goes inside, it's enveloped. It's covered, it's hidden, it's protected. Then the Bible says that the reason that we're enveloped or immersed is because then the Holy Spirit not only envelops us, but he seals us. So the reason that the Holy Spirit seals you, as we know, if this letter goes out and it's not sealed, then any random person can have access to the contents on the inside. But God understood how critical it was that the content be protected, that the content be preserved, that he made sure he not only enveloped you and I, but he seals us with the Holy Spirit of promise. And the only way you can get to the letter is if you break to the seal. And the only way the enemy can get to you is if he breaks the seal. 
which, by the way, is a supernatural seal. If the devil wants to get to the content of your destiny and your purpose and what God's placed on the inside of you, can I help you what he has to do? He has to get through the promise and the power of the Holy Spirit. He has to get through the supernatural seal that God has given you. Isn't that unbelievable? But he he not only envelops us and seals us, the Bible says he's marked us. He stamped us. I'm sorry, no, I'm getting ahead of myself. Not stamped us, he's given us the address. He's marked us. The address, again, this is where this letter begins and this is where this letter ends. The address is the evidence that this letter began somewhere but it's on its way to someplace. It's got an address. It's got a divine destination. It's got an anointed address. So the Bible says we've been enveloped and we've been sealed, but we've also been marked or we've been given an address, which means you and I may not look like much at times, but we can look back at where we came from. We know that we're not where we need to go, but we can also tell that we are on our way somewhere. We're, we're moving in the right direction that we've been given a divine address. I don't know about you, but when I send a letter in the mail, you put it in that box. Now, that letter may have tons of valuable things being said. Goes into a cold mailbox. Ends up being ripped out of that mailbox and thrown in a box. Ends up in some mailroom being pushed around, shuffled around. Eventually ends up bundled together with a bunch of other random pieces of mail. Then it's thrown in some bag, driven in some truck. And eventually it gets to the address. But if the letter could speak... Along the way, it may not feel like its destination is as important as you intended it to be. Along the way, it may look around and say to itself, man, what am I doing here? What's going on? What, What is this? Have you ever done that? Have you ever said, God, you said I have this great destiny. You said I have this great purpose. You said I have this great assignment. You, you marked me. Okay, wonderful, great. But what is this? What is, what is going on here? I, I don't feel like I have a divine destination. I don't feel like I am, am something, someone of great value that you are trying to accomplish something. I don't feel that way. And that's where you and I have to know that that's what the Holy Spirit does. What the Holy Spirit comes in and he says, listen, God's enveloped you. He's sealed you and he's given you an anointed address. You have to trust the process. Destination is the place. Destiny is the process that we go through in getting to that place. It doesn't always look the way that it needs to. And how does the, how does the Bible say you know that God will fulfill that divine destination and destiny in your life? It's because you have been given a guarantee. The deposit's already been made. The stamp has already been paid for. Done, paid for. Done. 
And it was more than a 47 cent stamp, by the way. There was a great price that was paid. So that you and I could be enveloped and sealed and marked and stamped. There was a significant price paid. So we never have to wonder whether or not God is going to fulfill the destiny on our life. He has stamped us. He has guaranteed everything that we need. Which, by the way, it's probably more like a first-class stamp. It's probably certified mail. God has the tracking address. He's watching it every step of the way, no matter where it goes. God knows how to bring you into your purpose. And then finally, the letter is delivered. Or what the scripture says, you are brought into the redemption that he promised you. So God takes us from where he used to be and he brings us to the place that he's assigned us to be. And he does this by delivering us into our destiny. You're enveloped, you're sealed, you're marked, you're guaranteed. God's delivering you. It may be a process. And in the end, why does the Bible say this all happens? Because you and I are God's possession. We're his sons and we're his daughters. We belong to him. And in the end, it will be to give him the praise and the glory. He's enveloped us. When you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you walk in a confidence that that you're covered, you're hidden, you're sealed, you're, you're guaranteed, you're marked. Nothing is happening by accident. It's all working together for the purpose that God has in your life. You know, I'm closing with this, this thought. One of the biggest problems people have with Jesus in the Bible is he doesn't look like what most people talk about. You know, most people talk about Jesus. He's loving, nice, sweet savior, right? Long flowing hair, a robe with sandals. Come on, carrying the little lamb. Everybody's got the, their grandma had the picture in the house carrying the little, little sweet lamb. But there are some moments that Jesus looks nothing like that. There are moments if you really study Jesus, he was a very strong, strong leader. Very strong. Very sure, very clear. Had no problem standing up against something that was wrong. Had no problem confronting the evil of his day. Even to the extreme that he didn't matter, it didn't matter if the political forces of his day throw him on a cross. He was unrelenting, fearless, sure, enveloped. The dove descended and remained. He was sealed. Marked, stamped. He had a destination. And that destination required that the Holy Spirit be in his life. One example that I would give you of how this plays into our world. Remember the time that Jesus walks into the, the temple and he gets so angry. He's so upset. He's so mad. He can't even, in the moment, say anything. He leaves, and the Bible says he actually makes a whip. Think, he doesn't go buy one. He doesn't go borrow one. 
he needs so much time to calm down. He's cutting the leather strips. He's weaving them together. He's making a whip. He goes back to the temple and he throws over the tables. Everybody's freaked out and he runs everybody out of the temple. And he says, you've misunderstood the purpose of my house. A lot of people make it that they were misusing and their money and all that stuff. And, and I'm not saying that that wasn't part of it. But that's not the complete picture of what he did. He says, my house shall be a house of prayer. Right? And prayer, at its best, is a dependence on God. It's God, I, I need you. I need you. I don't need you in every single thing every day. There are some basic things you've given me the ability to tackle, but there are some massive things in my life that I need you. I'm dependent on you. Jesus, as he's doing all of that, he goes and there's a cage. And the Bible says there's doves in that cage. And he unlocks the door of the cage and he lets the doves go he lets them out when he's making the statement of what his house will be like there it is again the Holy Spirit's not a dove it's like a dove and I would dare to say that in most people's lives and most churches if Jesus were to come in we would have the dove caged up. And if Jesus were to show up and pastor in church, he'd say, let the dove out. Let the dove out. Let the dove have his way. Let the Holy Spirit have his way. Not in a church service, in every person's life. The Holy Spirit came in and rested on every single person. And then every single person, bam, Simon Peter went this way. Thomas went this way, way. John went that way. The 3,000 that got saved dispersed, some to Asia, some to Italy in Rome, some to India, all over the world. They dispersed. And that's what the Holy Spirit did. He took them to those places. You see, as a pastor, my job with you is to tell you your job is not to come and have an exchange with me where we preach a sermon, we have good worship, we have good kids stuff, let's clap and we're done. My job is to tell you, listen, you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You have to be enveloped. You have to be sealed. You have to be marked, guaranteed, stamped. Why? So you can be delivered into that divine destination that God has for you. Any other way can I tell you what church is like? I have to preach good enough to make you want to do the right thing. Which we know that's not going to work. <laughs> like, think about it. It's on my back to preach good enough so you don't go sin this week. All the married people know. My preaching is ineffective. Come on. 
The single people, you can hide your sin. Married people, you can't hide it much, probably. I have to preach good enough that you'll want to use your gifts to serve the advancement of the kingdom of God. I have to preach good enough that you'll want to actually go out and live a life of love and compassion. I have to preach good enough that you'll actually want to come back. That's a huge responsibility. Or I just open up the cage and let the devil loose. And that's what his house is about. It's not about good music, which we have unbelievable music. It's not about great preaching. It's not, I'm just playing around. Thank you. You're so kind. You're so kind. Listen, that's Cage and the Dove up. Let's get our focus back on God. I shouldn't have gone there. It's not about great kids stuff, even though I look forward to blowing our children's mind with what we do over there with the kids stuff. It's about coming, just like Jesus said to. Don't go back out without the promise of the Father resting on your life. I need the Holy Spirit to do what I do. I need the Holy Spirit to be loosed in the calls I have to make. And you need the Holy Spirit loosed in your life to make the calls that you need to make. We should live. Luke teaches us we should live. Church, this community of Jesus followers, is absolutely dependent on the Holy Spirit being active every day in every way. Amen.